Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, a Song of Ice and Fire episode 66, John 12 in a Storm of Swords, and John in a Storm of Swords outro. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You know me from the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and of course, liesandarborgold.com. And hello, I am Eliana, another one of your hosts. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit, on the Mace Monthly podcast, maybe Arithmetric over on Twitter. Weird. It's empty. I feel like it's so weird now that we haven't had a guest for two weeks. I know. I'm so lonely. I'm, I know. Wait, I'm right us. here. I'm literally right I know. Here. <laughs> I know. There must be a third. <laughs> we will find the third head of our fire signs someday. <gasps> Uh, our Sagittarius. Only Sagittarius. Only Sagittarius is, are allowed to apply. <laughs> Unfortunately, not Scatitarius. Sorry. Yeah, we asked him his sign. It was it was the wrong one. <laughs> wrong element entirely, even. Oh, so. God. But we're here. It's us. It is uh, a little quieter. We're going to end a storm of swords quietly with each other. A nice night in. <laughs> we are. Uh, nice sober afternoon night. Whatever. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We do have a few emails and tweets of note. We're not completely alone this week. Uh, We had a great comment actually from Patreon from our friend Michael who said, Great episode in regards to Fashion Hour. John taking the time to get ready in a way he is comfortable reminds me of Ned's first small council meeting. Ah, that was very clever. I did not think of that. And I, I'm like, why didn't I think of that? That's so smart. I know. Uh, Same. I thought that was really good. I know. I was like, we should have thought of this. Damn it, Michael. <laughs> Michael, are you a Sagittarius? Uh, <laughs> Do you want to be the third girl gone canon? He was sweaty, tired, had to wear someone else's clothes. He should have had them postpone it. John played it right. Uh, yeah, just to clarify, the he was sweaty was referring to John, not Michael. Yes. <laughs> Maybe Michael is. We don't know. Maybe he is a fire sign. Yeah. Also, he said that in regards to John's sword, he saw Longclaw as a symbol of legitimacy. It's a Valyrian steel sword given to him by the previous Lord Commander. He's meeting with a king who might try to get the Night's Watch to do his bidding, and by appearing as close to an equal as he could, Stannis cannot treat him like someone to be ordered around. I thought those were really interesting points, Michael. Good job. Yeah, I think that these were just great insights on a lot of, you know, how we've been talking about clothing being part of that political stuff and those power plays. So this was really good. I think the moment it came in, I was like, Chloe, Chloe, that comment is really good. I know. I was like, this comment is so good. Wow. I, I am mad. We're like, we're putting that in. I'm mad that we didn't think about dad. I know. In this, in this context. We thought about dad differently, but yeah, we weren't yeah. thinking about dad's clothes, you know? We weren't thinking about John. Jon Snow learning how to tie a tie from Ned Stark. Oh my god. (sighs) We did get another... We got an email, actually, from our friend Warren, if you want to read it. Warren says, Best book episode yet, including the Sansa Blackwater extravaganza. Warren uh, was very impressed with having scat on for this discussion with Stannis and says, I've always been curious as to what exactly the attraction is with Stannis, and I think this episode might just show exactly... The reasons people love Stannis are the same as the reasons people hate him. I personally am meh on Stannis, but I do think he has the characteristics of a good king, but a terrible leader. Go work on your people skills, Stanny boy. It was a really good conversation last week. I think it was funny. I, I, I'm, I am still worried about Stannis being our next 85 million hour episode, a la Blackwater. As Warren points out, our Blackwater extravaganza that was actually 7,322 million 
Wait, that's not a number. Fuck. That was actually seven billion three hundred million twenty thousand hours long. Uh, that was a real number. I had to make sure. But I, I thought it was interesting. He said that he thinks Stannis would be a good king, but a terrible leader. I don't think he'd be a good king, personally, in the end. I think that he is just and righteous, but I think that we obviously know he doesn't have some certain touches that make him kingly. You know, there are different kinds of leadership. He's a good leader militarily, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I think We've of seen too, him yeah. do that well, and, and we've seen him do well in other sorts of leadership positions. As for being a good king... I think it really depends on what you think kingship is about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, of course, bring different things to the table with it. And A Song of Ice and Fire, it kind of explores what does it mean to be a king in different ways. We see Stannis progress as a character throughout the books, which is interesting and I think is part of why a lot of people like his character. I'm not sure I see him as having the necessarily empathy needed in all situations to always make the right call because a king granted of course a king is not a president right it's not the same but ideally a king is looking out for the best interests of his people and just don't know if Stannis has always the right judgment or empathy for that I I think he's lacking on the empathy a lot I don't think uh I I see him as a good leader military wise like you were saying tactfully speaking, I just don't see him as a good king um, for the same reasons that maybe John wouldn't be a good king, um, but John accepts that and knows that as far as he finally says, no, not for me, right? As far as leadership, but he wants to be. He wants to be a good leader. I think John like finds like a really big balance of, I want to be a good leader, but also I don't want to be that kind of leader. And maybe it's just from these characters like Stannis that he's around, that burnout, you know? Yeah. Jon Snow's more fade away than burnout, I guess. I guess he's fade away at one point. At the beginning, yeah. you know, he's more just like, I, w- I really wanted a great pun for this, but I don't have one. Oh my he's God. just being stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, someone takes him out. He's taken out instead of any of the other kinds of, kinds of flare outs. <laughs> Speaking of things forgotten, uh, <laughs> we're doing a Patreon episode this month. Shadow Fox, one of our patrons, said that they would love to talk about semi-forgotten characters that will make a return in The Winds of Winter or in the story and how they contribute. Uh, So we're going to talk about forgotten characters in A Song of Ice and Fire this month on our Patreon episode. If you haven't visited our Patreon, it is patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. They specified, you know, forgotten characters and how they might influence make a return in Winds, and they kind of... They kind of gave you some restrictions, Chloe. Yeah, they said I'm not allowed to talk about Howland Reed, and that's not fair because Howland Reed won't be in The Winds of Winter. He'll be in A Dream of Spring. I. Yeah, it's also it's also <laughs> that I think Howland Reed is not forgotten. No, you know? no, everyone remembers definitely Howland not. Reed. Absolutely. No, we uh, we're looking at a smaller scale. We're definitely going to think about smaller characters yeah. that don't come up in your everyday conversations with your friends. Uh, it's not just you know the Daenerys versus John versus the Starks discourse every single day believe it or not, but the small stuff. A small character can cast a big shadow. A very big shadow. So we're going to talk about that. Indeed. More to come. You will uh, see that out towards the mid-end of the month. We also have another exciting announcement, but this one's for next week. It is. We have, again, we're lonely. 
<laughs> We're lonely here now with just the two of us with our empty nest. So we've decided to bring someone else on to talk about John with us. Yes, we are going to be bringing one of our really good friends, Maester Mary, on. If you've ever seen her wonderful work, she put out a great piece about Jon Snow, an essay about Jon, and his arc in a Dota, a Dance with Dragons, affectionately. So we are going to have Mary on, uh, Up From Under Winterfell is her blog on WordPress, for Jon 1 in A Dance with Dragons and the introduction to Jon in A Dance with Dragons. And of course, that's Mary, M-E- R-R-Y. She is working on her second essay, and we'll let her talk a little bit more about that when she comes to join us next week. I'm sure she's going to love that, us saying, Mary, how's your essay going? <laughs> <laughs> I remember every time like anyone would ask me, oh yeah, how's your essay going? And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> Same. Let's just stop saying those words. They're actually kind of making me anxious. So, uh... <laughs> uh, Chloe, how's your... <laughs> Which one? Oh, this lightning round. How's the lightning round coming, Chloe? Well, let's talk about Tyrion 11. Freed from the black cells by Varys, Tyrion seeks the truth in King's Landing one last time before making a very dramatic exit by killing his dad and Shay. Tyrion, I'm shitting. Fuck you, dad. Pew, pew, pew. It's a quote from Westeros, an American musical. Okay, you're right. (laughs) Samuel 5. Stannis commands the Brothers of the Watch to choose a new commander, and Samuel is advised by Maester Aemon on Stannis' nature before playing the game of thrones. Of chairs. <laughs> Just chairs right now. With Cotter Pike and Dennis Malister. Which of course brings us to John twelve in a storm of swords. Iron Emmett beats John into his past in the yard, where he remembers a very bitter memory. Jano Slynn and Alistair Thorne feel certain their scheming will pay off in the election, but when John arrives to the hall to hear the results, he finds out that his name was put forward for the Triwizard Cup. <sighs> the chapter opens up with Iron Emmett from the Not A Cast podcast. <laughs> he's strong, he's long, he's the East Watch's John. These are great, Thank Chloe. You. I thought it was a strong opening for you. I think it is. John lets Iron Emmett beat the shit out of him in training sessions, and the other guys suck, so therefore John never improves against them. I thought that was really a nice beat, that like now that someone strong is here to train with Iron Emmett, he's like, alright, I can train with him. But it also makes me think there's kind of a couple things at play in this line that George is building on. When John becomes Lord Commander, he kind of has more duties to complete, and he takes over and trains here and there, but he doesn't train anymore as Lord Commander. And he has to send all of his equals and his friends away, right? And he also stops training after that. And he's almost stagnating. So I think something about that power structure that, you know, once you have little crows to protect, little burbs, you don't get to just train every day. Um, And the only fight he actually does have is with Rattleshirt when Mance is secretly being him. So it reminds me kind of a couple things the bastards are not allowed to damage young princes line comes to mind Mm. here. And also that his... Equal at Castle Black, the only equal he has left there to fight against is Mance. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is John doesn't really have the energy to fight other people because he's too busy fighting every battle in his mind. (laughs) (laughs) Put every battle in your mind. Shanja. Shanja. Okay. Uh, But there, I... I... Agree. I think that's interesting, especially like you said, with him going against this equal man's who he doesn't realize is man's. He's like, what the fuck did Rattleshirt get so good? But there's also, I think, a mix of John being really busy right now. Mm-hmm. Like he's just got to do other things. He doesn't. 
have time to train the recruits. It's not his job anymore. Mm-hmm. He has to go like do budgeting, find supplies for the winter, yeah. manage running everything. He's got to, instead of training the new recruits, manage the training of the recruits, figuring out how are we going to actually get new recruits to fucking train later on. Which, so. and that right there is part of late stage capitalism, right? Because the actual boss can't continue himself and further himself because he's too busy doing all of those things, but they don't have enough men. It's a skeleton crew because they can barely pay the people to keep the place afloat. So... <laughs> Anyways. Well, tell us how you really feel, Chloe. <laughs> tell us. You want to sit down? No. Nope. I and am talk sitting about down and I do not want right. to. Thank you. So Emmett is beating him down hard and John can't keep up. He staggers and everything goes blurry and all of a sudden the only thing he can think of is a memory. It's one that we've talked about a lot, I think, this book because we've just been leading up to it. And then the years were gone, and he was back at Winterfell once more, wearing a quilted leather coat in place of mail and plate. His sword was made of wood, and it was Rob who stood facing him, not Iron Emmet. Every morning they trained together, since they were big enough to walk. Snow and Stark, spinning and slashing about the wards of Winterfell, shouting and laughing, sometimes crying when there was no one else to see. They were not little boys when they fought, but knights and mighty heroes. I'm Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight! John would call out, and Rob would shout back, Well, I'm Florian the Fool! Or Rob would say, I'm the young dragon! And John would reply, I'm Sir Ryan Redwine! That morning, he called it first. I'm Lord of Winterfell! He cried as he had a hundred times before. Only this time, Rob had answered, You can't be Lord of Winterfell, you're a bastard born. My lady mother says you can't ever be the Lord of Winterfell. I thought I had forgotten that. John could taste blood in his mouth from the blow he had taken. Oh boy! So much. That's a passage to unpack. Tried to do a small, a child Rob. I don't want anyone to think I think poorly of Rob. I love Rob. I just wanted to channel. No, I mean, that's eight-year-old Rob. Be great. I, I can't change Thank who you. I am, so I was just John no. the whole way through. You know. I mean, maybe John had like a lower voice than Rob. I guess, like, I mean, what maybe. would my, like, young John even be? Uh, I don't know. I'm Lord of Winterfell! <laughs> oh, I'm Lord of I can't do it. I can't do anything. I'm Sir Ryan Redwine! <gasps> I tried. Uh, no, I think that was, that's actually hilarious and adorable. Thank you. Thank you. So, I thought it'd be interesting to unpack the characters that they explained they wanted to be before we even got into the emotional weight of this passage. Let's keep it fresh and just, you know, stories are good. So let's talk about some of these characters. Rob calls out the young dragon, uh, Darian Targaryen, and Florian the Fool. And I thought the young dragon is probably the strongest of these kind of stories paralleling a little bit. Um, he was the eldest son of Aegon Third. He was the first to conquer Dorne. He brought 14 hostages back as collateral from Dorne. His cousin, Prince Aemon, the Dragon Knight, Uh, prevented his assassination by throwing himself in front of a poisoned arrow that was being flung at him. While the nobility and Dorne knelt down to Darren and said, yeah, sure, whatever, the Dornish small folk rose up against Darren, and he ended up slain along with three Kingsguard who were riding under a peace banner to Dorne. Baylor succeeded him, and he tried kind of a different approach with Dorne. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there is that rough parallel that Rob came under a peace banner and was slain. And I think that's interesting that George put that in there. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't think about all of that. Uh, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> no problem. I'm too deep. Too deep. You uh, are. You are. So I. Yeah, these are great. The Florian the Fool is weird though too. The Florian the Fool is like a really unsketched out one that I. I don't know if it's kind of referring to Jane as like a, a knight falls in love with a maiden kind of thing. A fool knight like robs a fool. He fell in love with Jane. I don't know. Mm, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just think it's funny that Rob picks the young dragon when John's the young dragon. The young dragon, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I do think that was <laughs> funny. I do. I was thinking that too. But it's interesting that he chose the cousin parallel, right? Because mm-hmm. he chose Aemon the dragon knight. And Aemon's story is obviously ridiculously rich. Like we hear about it in all the stories of Aemon and Nerys and Aemon the dragon knight. It's just such a, that's a story name right there, you know? And there's obviously the John and Aemon connection. And of course, it, a lot of people, uh, I know Joe Magician, who's been on with us before, you think about that, there, there's the theory that John's real name really is Aemon. So that could be an interesting bit. But Aemon the Dragon Knight was the second son of Viserys II and Lara Rajar, and he joined the King's Guard at 17 and defended four kings after Aegon III. His helm and crest was a white gold dragon on his King's Guard little outfit. And the stories and songs say that Aemon and Nerys loved each other and that she cried during her bedding to Aegon IV and that he had harsh words with Aegon and all this happening, craziness, whatever, there's drama, there's sibling drama, you know. Sibling lover drama. Sibling lover cousin. It's own special kind of drama. Yeah, Targaryen drama is so rich. So they should really do like some Days of Our Lifestyle show about it or Passions. Only Targaryens. We need a reality TV show. Yeah, and this is what's interesting. People, you know, a lot of people bitch about George saying he's going to have, he's excited to do Aegon the Fourth stuff in Fire and Blood too. But it's like, there's so much you could talk about surrounding Aegon the Fourth and Darren and different characters and Aemon. Uh, Aemon gets captured in Dorne and put naked in a crow cage above a pit of vipers by Wile of Wile, and Baylor shows up to deal with it all. They give him the key to the cage that Aemon is in, and he walks in to save Aemon, and so all the singers say his piety protected him from being bit, and he frees Aemon. Uh, but we learn in the Sansa chapter from Alaria, I believe it is, that the Dornishmen claim he was bitten actually half a hundred times. And whatever the case, Aemon carries a comatose bailer out of Dorn. So we know the answer. And he's treated in Blackhaven and later awakened. And later on, Aemon is a mystery knight and attorney. He names Nerys the Queen of Love and Beauty, which did piss Aegon IV off. But later, Aemon dies honorably defending Aegon IV and Baylor from Terence Toyne's two brothers who were seeking revenge for his execution. So super rough parallel, I guess, is that sister connection because Aemon tested that line about Nerys, who obviously was supposed to be with Aegon IV, and he didn't agree with everything happening there, especially co- probably because of the whole, like, Aegon IV is a dick thing who had, oh, nine mistresses or so. But that super rough parallel comes with John of saving his sisters and trying to defend his family, mm-hmm. even with those mixed up feelings. There's also, again, coming back to his family, because there's a parallel then with Aemon the Dragon Knight and John's mother, mm-hmm. not his father, which is also kind of interesting as coming in as like a mystery knight mm-hmm. in attorney. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. With Liana and Aemon. That's mm-hmm. an interesting one. I didn't actually think about that. Good good going. Now you're the laughing yeah. tree. What is it? Rule 63? Yes. Rule 63. We know, no. <laughs> for, the, for the gender swap? Yeah, or is it 34? No, that's the one that there's porn of mm, everything. I mean, am I wrong? I mean, that's why it's a rule, right? <laughs> so the other person that John mentions doesn't really 
hold well i mean because this person i think kind of is a stupid part of history like i don't understand why he's so romanticized but ryan redwine he was a lord commander under jaharis one he was also a hand of the king to jaharis for less than a year Hmm. his brother's names are robert and rickard which is what i found really interesting he was the king's guard member that found that lucamore the lusty wasn't staying celibate and he told on him so lucamore was gelded he broke 30 lances against Crab in Jaehaerys' 50th birthday extravaganza in King's Landing, and it was proclaimed like the greatest jousting event to ever have happened. That's hilarious. But he was the worst hand of the king. In Fire and Blood, Alar says about him, some problems can't be solved by hitting them with a stick. So he kind of sucked, but mm-hmm. a lot of the names fit in there with the whole uh, Jaehaerys uh, being his lord commander, and then, of course, Robert and Rickard are Ryan's brothers, and uh, the gelding thing, I guess, kind of gives me some hints of the Night's Watch. But I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. The Rickard and Robert, especially. Yeah. Or I don't know. I guess they were just like, let's just try being random ass people. <laughs> and John's like, I don't know. I'll pick this guy. Right. He's famous. But, well, it's everyone in the songs. But it's like the songs about Ryan Redwine could not have been that great. Like, and also if. You, I know. Like, <laughs> I mean, those songs sound like they suck. I wouldn't listen to those songs. I don't know. I mean, it kind of sounds like he was he was good at sports, right? Yeah. Just not good at all the other parts. And as we know, and we've discussed this at the beginning of John's storyline especially, John really prizes what he sees as, like, good fighters, etc. And only later on comes to realize, wait, maybe, yes, maybe some problems cannot be solved by hitting yeah. them with a stick. And, like... I don't know. He was just, maybe Ryan Redwine was kind of a dumb jock, and that's okay. It's okay to be that. And he, John was like, I don't know, a child. And he's like, oh, he was like a cool sports hero. Yeah, that, that works. He's a cool sports hero that, in the end, our heroes are all dead or employed by the villains. I guess. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> or, well, I mean, Ryan Redwine didn't go on to start a foundation, no. is all I'm saying, Thank or God. a charity. He didn't... He could... I mean, maybe he would have been better if he picked someone else to do all the things, but instead someone put him in charge. Yeah, what we really need to look at is the system and how it's broken. <laughs> Jaharis the first. Oh my God. <laughs> the bigger thing happening in this passage, of course, that we were skirting because we wanted to talk about stories for a hot second, was John has basically said he's contented and fine and that Catalan made him feel like this, but... We see, as we've talked about, it wasn't just cattle, and it was the structure of the society and the family, uh, and you know how bastards are looked at by that culture. And John, in his bitter realization that this has haunted him, right? This has hurt him his entire life, uh, and it's finally, finally, really hit him. Of course, he wants Winterfell. Of course, he wants the one thing he's always been denied. He wants to belong, he wants respect, and he wants them to see what he can and has done already. And it brings me back to when Sam tried to slap some sense in him in Game of Thrones and its completion that comes in this chapter, right? He says to John, When I was little, my father used to insist that I attend him in the audience chamber whenever he held court. When he rode to Highgarden to bend his knee to Lord Tyrell, he made me come. Later, though, he started to take Dickon and leave me at home. And he no longer cared about whether I sat through his audiences, so long as Dickon was there. He wanted his heir at his side, don't you see? To watch and listen and learn from all he did. I'll wager that's why Lord Mormont requested you, John. What else could it be? He wants to groom you for command. John was taken aback. It was true. Lord Eddard had often made Rob part of his councils back at Winterfell. Could Sam be right? Even a bastard could rise high in the Night's Watch, they said. I never asked for this. 
he said stubbornly. Oh my god. That's from John 6. Uh, so it brings back a lot of those themes, right, of Rob and him in Winterfell playing in the yard. And Rob was always in these councils. John never got to be in these councils. And we're looking at this crossroads that John has the easy way, the road more traveled in front of him by being Lord of Winterfell, right? And in his mind, it is something of a good thing. He could protect Winterfell. He could take it back. Uh, but it Brings me right back to that memory of him thinking, like, oh, when Rob sees me, he'll be so proud of me for, you know, abandoning my vows to come help him. He's very conflicted between what these people would think was brave and not brave and not being able to belong in this family and being rejected from it, even by Rob. Rob may have been his brother and treated him brotherly, but he sees, like, he could never have been one of them. It was never going to work. And I think what's especially hurtful about that is I think a lot of children, right, they grow up, if they grew up like in a family or with one of their parents at least like being supportive and a good role model to them, etc., they grow up idolizing that parent for a little bit. And especially when you're really young, thinking of like, oh, I want to be like dad when I grow up, I guess, is what John is mm -hmm. thinking here, right? And suddenly he's got this wall that's placed between him and his dad and therefore the rest of his family by being told, hey, actually, no, you can't fit into this system. You can't inherit and fill dad's shoes at all as much as you might want right. to. So there's like kind of this Freudian thing here going on also because at the same time you see him wanting to sort of live out that fantasy later on, especially as he thinks later on, you know, oh, I could have kids... With Val, I guess, as the Lord of Winterfell, and we'll name one of them Rob, and wants to then fulfill that same familial fantasy as acting out as as Ned. But I think something else, I'm glad that you like pulled out this quote, because in that desire for Winterfell and a home that's always been denied him, you see then another parallel between his story and Daenerys' story, as she longs to return to Westeros, longs to have the Iron Throne back and Dragonstone, because for her, this is supposed to be home. And then you have that unseen choice because in the background of everything that we're reading right now sam is running around conniving and politically being like you should vote for john you should vote for john you should vote for john and we're going to talk about this at the end but he's taking what stannis wanted because stannis can't have the north without john uh later mm -hmm. as we know stannis tries to take the north and the north lords don't give a crap there's like three that care you know, like they just don't, they've, they've already seen too much of this horror. And that's a bigger thing that Northern Independence is really about. Like, they didn't want to bend to Stannis either, dude. Like, it's not just bending to the Lannisters or bending to Daenerys or bending to this. They didn't want to bend to Stannis. They've already been bending to all these people. They want to get rid of the vermin, obviously. But after that, they don't want to be ruled by these people that don't get them. So it's interesting kind of where this leads and what it takes away. Stannis's campaign suffers. John doesn't even know that he is up for the ballot at this point. He's like, I'll never, I'm a, I'm a fucking turncloak. I'm not going to end up as the Lord Commander at this point. Uh, it's just like in The Office, which yeah, I know you still haven't seen this, but Dwight does some shit and he's like, I'm not going to be the manager. They'll never give me the manager job. I effed it up. And then later he ends up the manager at the very end. So it's like, <laughs> it's really good. Same exact little play happening here. John doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't even know this choices being made for him yeah and i mean he didn't f everything up everyone else except for like yeah. alistair thorne and janos lint know that and they kind of know they just don't want to acknowledge it they're like well 
Castle Black, we literally wouldn't be here and able to meet here if it weren't for John holding it. Right. And warning everyone. Halder and Horse drag John off of Emmett. Emmett's not looking good. Uh, he looks pretty bad. His helm's knocked off. His shield's broken. All of it. John kind of comes back to Earth and everyone's yelling at him. They're like, you disarmed him. Enough. And he thinks, no, not enough. Never enough. John let his sword drop. He asks Emmett if he's hurt, and Emmett's like, no shit, I told you to yield, dude. What don't you get? Yeah, it's kind of a strangely written scene. Not necessarily bad, but it is really jarring for both the reader and John to come back and find out that, oh, during the time of this flashback, where we ended with John on the ground, suddenly he's on top now and is like wailing on Iron Emmett. Poor guy. He's just like, what the fuck is going on here? But I I think that in this scene, you can see George's television writing background come through because I think you can just imagine like that cut mm-hmm. to the background. Then all of a sudden you cut back to the camera and like John's just wailing yeah. and you're like, uh. It does. It takes you out of place and you can actually feel like the blood in your ears, if that makes sense. And like your head rings a little ring. Like I feel like I can be where John is and feel that. Like that's what John's feeling blurry a little bit outside of what's going on. It reminds me of Ned's PTSD watching of Arya as she fights with Sirio in mm. the show a little bit. That whole like zoning out disassociative behavior. John just, he was out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've to- I've been told that, you know, people sometimes channel their anger into when they're working out. Yes, yes. I've been told this. Warrior, defend me, he groaned. Now I know how Korn Havhan must have felt. That was too much. John wrenched free of his friends and retreated to the armory, alone. His ears were still ringing from the blow Emmett had dealt him. He sat on the bench and buried his head in his hands. Why am I so angry? He asked himself. But it was a stupid question. This line from Iron Emmett, it's kind of a low blow, in a way, but he's also not, like, wrong. I mean, like, I understand, like, Iron Emmett's just like, dude, what the fuck? Corn Halfhand was actually, like, able to go John into killing him, slash make it believable to the wildlings by egging John on by talking about his bastardy. And I think Iron Emmett, he, he doesn't know, but he's done the same thing by conjuring those memories for John. John just went all out and let him get lost in that moment. Yeah. John knows the answer to the question of why he's angry because he can't put out of his mind being the Lord of Winterfell. And then there's this line that all he can see is Catelyn's face, blue eyes staring at him, and a cold mouth. He thinks she almost looks like Stannis. What? No one talks about this line, ever. I know. I thought that was really interesting. I don't know. And of course, there is a second part that makes it less silly because now I'm, of course, just imagining Stannis in a Catelyn Stark outfit or vice versa. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say a Stannis and Catelyn ship, which I think that also kind works. of Catelyn's very easy to ship with people. I yeah, think. that's maybe she's only a top me. mommy, you know, for sure. Um, <laughs> she was looking at him the way she used to look at him at Winterfell whenever he had bested Rob at swords or sums or most anything. Who are you? That look always seemed to say, this is not your place. Why are you here? While you were reading that, I just remembered another crazy Catelyn ship. I never came up with this. Sure. I think we've discussed it before, but 
way, way, way back in the day, I think like after the first book came out, someone somewhere on the internet theorized that Catelyn and John yes, you've told were gonna me hook up. This. And I'm just I'm just like, what? What is this? Anyway, talk about Oedipal. Regarding this line though, I agree with what you're saying. It's not brought up more, that comparison between Stannis and Catelyn. And it's kind of interesting when you think about how Donald Noy was all like, Stannis will break before mm-hmm. he bends. And I kind of like wonder did Catelyn break before she bent? Because we see the red wedding through her interiority and that sorrow that she's feeling like as all her pretty ones are taken from her and killed and then she like rakes her fingers down her face. And I think that's the moment, right? Where she breaks because when she comes back, like it's really something considering that this exact chapter is only one to two chapters, depending on how you're counting them, right before the reveal of Lady Stoneheart. And we do learn she was just supposed to be taken as a hostage. She wasn't supposed yeah. to die but of course she went out like a badass um minus like the civilian you know kill but yeah she she broke she killed jingle bell even though she catlin does does a lot of things throughout her storyline one day we'll talk about it yeah oh my god i can't wait um <laughs> wow that was a really great point i didn't even think about that we should do a podcast <laughs> oh i guess so <laughs> on what so john john is avoiding his friends they're all in the training yard, and he goes to take a bath, and the bath reminds him of the pools in the godswood. He thinks about how he could restore Winterfell from his wreckage, and that his dad and Rob would have wanted that. You can't be the lord of Winterfell, your bastard born, he heard Rob say again, and the stone kings were growling at him with granite tongues. You do not belong here. This is not your place. When John closed his eyes, he saw the heart tree, with its pale limbs, red leaves, and solemn face. The weirwood was the heart of Winterfell, Lord Eddard always said, but to save the castle, John would have to tear that heart up by its ancient roots and feed it to the red woman's hungry fire god. I have no right, he thought. Winterfell belongs to the old gods. So this is a little bit about what we were talking about last week, together with Scad, about how John eventually makes his decision because of his father's gods. And knowing that he'd have to destroy that legacy and memory, the essence of the North, in a way, is definitely, I think, one of those questions about the cost of, like, is what you want worth that price? That's examined throughout A Song of Ice and Fire. This is one way it's done through John's storyline. Like, is the price of Winterfell worth burning up his father's gods? And this is the direct conflict that he's facing in these chapters, which is, again... Mm -hmm. What makes it so funny when it's all undercut at the end and it's like, well, your choice is made for you, bitch. You know? (laughs) Uh, I think of Winterfell and pretty much most of the North, like I think of the Wall. Uh, It's made of old magic and I feel like it defends itself. And I think that's what most of the North is. So even if Jon burnt down the Weirwood, would they accept him? It would curse his reign, just like Harrenhal, Mm -hmm. for example, uh, and anyone's reign there after him. So did Stannis curse his own reign when he burnt down the godswood in Storm's End? Oh, I think that's an interesting idea, especially because what? It does have its roots Mm -hmm. in the first men. I think that's really interesting. But yeah, I think not only is it the magic, but as you said, Winterfell defends itself and spoilers, spoilers, winds of winter. That's why you have Stannis grilling Theon later on. Yeah, trying to understand it all. Yeah, being like, how? so how'd you fucking take Winterfell? And he's like, I mean, I fucking live there. They, like, just... Yeah. Whatever. I know how to get in there. <laughs> yeah. 
But John is brought back again by the echoing of men's voices. It's Alistair Thorne and Bowen Marsh talking about how uh, status rules, time and rules to Othel Yarwick, and that Slint should clearly be the Lord Commander. John sits up and the men all freeze, realizing, oh, someone else is here. And he addresses them. My lords, he said with cold courtesy. What are you doing here, bastard? Thorne asked. Bathing, but don't let me spoil your plotting. John climbed from the water, dried, dressed, and left them to conspire. I love that. That is the most savage shit. Then he just comes out and he's like, here's my dog. Yeah. Take that, everyone. Is that it? Don't let me spoil your plotting. Here's my 16-year-old dong. <laughs> God damn it. Just wanted to make you feel weird Yeah, now about it's it, weird. You know? Now it's weird. I was yep. just like, I feel like sometimes when people just emerge naked from things, that it can yeah. be its own power move, but now you've made it weird. And yep. if it weren't for the fact that John addressed them, it almost reminded me of Arya listening to Illyrio and Varys plotting. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. Regardless, there is some great irony in this discussion that they're having because, I mean, the timeline, as we know, the chapters, it's all like a little, it's a little murky and ambiguous. And this might be a bit before Tyrion's last chapter or simultaneous. It could very well be after and like news hasn't gotten to them, right? But the Night's Watch are thinking about how, oh yeah, Tywin's totally going to be victorious. So you got to throw in with him. And they're kind of lucky in a way that Sam conspires i mean that's not like great to say because we as readers know by this point that throwing in with tywin is a losing bet why because he's dead oh (laughs) (laughs) there's something so great about how fleeting that power is right uh power lies where men believe it lies totally applies here and janos's power is gonna lie beneath the dirt with the worms and then his ashes will too do they burn him i mean i'd guess they would after they probably should. Yeah, I mean... Based on everything that they know. Yeah, I forgot. Jan- that's what I'm guessing. I'm thinking... I actually originally, when I said that in my head, I was thinking like, and then Janos will too. And I'm like, no, they're going to burn his ass. Like, the cold ones are coming, <laughs> That's bro. not a guy that you want to deal with twice. Like, fuck. <laughs> no, he's so annoying. Dealing with him once is bad enough. Uh... Uh, so John heads outside. He is walking past towers that hold memories for him. The Lord Commander's Tower, where he saved Jaor, the spot where Egret died, the King's Tower, where they battled the Magnar and his thens, remains of the Wooden Stair, down the tunnel where Donal and Mag died, and out the tower gate into the cold sunlight. Um, I do, I really love this passage. He he couldn't sleep, so he's just walking the wall, and he walks through all these memories. Yeah, it, it's really well written, and it's such a great delivery to make it interesting as John just crosses from one point of the castle to the other because a lot of the action in this chapter sure you've got like the actual choosing but the central action and conflict within the chapter is like John's decision and he's like being torn right between two homes one version of his past versus like his more recent past events and so reliving all of these memories shows how much John has experienced here in Castle Black and how much he's lost, especially since book one. And a lot of these memories, though, aren't happy. Even the one about J.R. Mormont, because a lot of them are about, oh, uh, all these people died. I lost all these people. So it kind of makes it easier for him to be like, what if I just left this place behind? <laughs> and and this place has really been where he's become the character we're reading, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's great about doing this by the books is that when we start dance, we're seeing a young man, not this young teenage boy who's seething in the back of the room, drunk for the first time. 
in many ways, this chapter has a lot of that Boyd mm-hmm. still in it. You feel the heat of the moment. You feel the emotion. While his conversation turning Cloak to Mance kind of felt hollow about his family life, you see the true hurt that he does hurt about it brought out in this fight with Iron Emmett and that pain from the feast. Uh, but as we get into dance, the conflicted man-child who wants to save his family and lead turns into a, a man, right, who wants to protect those he loves and learns that he has to send them away in doing so. And it's it's, it's just such an interesting transition and to see him become this man it's it's really shows a lot in that passage him thinking about everywhere he has been yeah i don't know if he had to send them away clearly john wasn't privy to the lectures on the lone wolf dies but the pack survives as Arya was and she was like this is my new pack when she's out there in the riverlands and then she's like guess not rip anyway john thinks that awful yorwick isn't really a man of very strong convictions and could therefore be swayed by Martian Thorn to hashtag vote Janos. <laughs> John thinks that Winterfell actually now might be my only option. Thanks to these schmucks. He glances at the wildling quote unquote camp of captives a hundred yards away. There are three great fire pits where the dead are being burnt post battle to his left. All the burned bodies in the box to the left. Oh my god. That was not okay to say. Oh, no, Beyonce, sorry. sit down. Does that make me Nikki? I think so. You could yeah. be, unless you want to be Jay-Z. I mean, baby, I'll always be your Jay-Z besides the cheating and the... Anyways, so <laughs> there are scorched weeds and hard ground everywhere. And bits of Mance's people remain, though, right? Like torn hides and mammoth dung and broken spears. John is sitting on the edge of the haunted forest, and he's thinking about his life and his choices. Uh, Egret had wanted him to be a wildling, Stannis the Lord of Winterfell, but John doesn't even know what he wants. He's 16! How could he? Of course. He puts it into simple terms. Should I get murdered by my brothers, or should I forswear my vows and marry Val? Bad news about all that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> these are all like weird choices the funny part is he straight up thinks like should i yeah. should i get murdered by my brothers and stay here and the irony is he gets given the lord commander position and then he gets murdered by his brothers it's the defense of the dark arts position i mean he had it if he would have just listened to himself but i mean it it would have been no weird, it would have right? been bad either just way. went and took it, none of them are good choices one of them does sound a lot better though yeah uh because, you know, Val's pretty and Mance Raiders, Queen's dead Queen's sister. And then he thinks about Egret and he's like, actually, that would have made my choice a lot easier. But <laughs> I mean, that is a choice, you know. I don't know if it, it meant either marrying Egret to take Winterfell or if it meant Val. running away with Egret yeah. to go be. Either way, he was like, if Egret was here, I'd just do whatever the fuck she's doing. Yeah, I wouldn't make any choices. He, uh, he thinks about how Val's pretty and how she's Mance Raiders queen's sister technically and he thinks about egret and how egret would have just been an easier choice which i thought that was interesting uh he's never really let himself think about having a child but he thinks that if he stole val maybe he could he could name him rob if they had a kid and they could foster dallas son and gilly's son at winterfell and grow up brothers and sam wouldn't have to tell his lie he'd find a place for them all and that's the saddest this this passage that we're about to read is like it just hurts. But this is like literally, right? Yeah. This is literally what Ned did. Yes. Had a son named Rob, took in some other kid, and was like, no one needs to know. 
No one needs to know where the kid's really from. It's fine. Yeah. Sam would never need to tell his lie either. He'd find a place for them all. Oh. Sam told his lies anyway yeah, in the previous chapter. Yep. Ah, okay. So he, this passage is so good. I will do it for you. Because mm-hmm. it's John, so. Yeah, you have to. He wanted it, John knew then. He wanted it as much as he had ever wanted anything. I've always wanted it, he thought guiltily. May the gods forgive me. It was a hunger inside him, sharp as a dragonglass blade. A hunger. He could feel it. It was food he needed. Prey. A red deer that stank of fear, or a great elk proud and defiant. He needed to kill and fill his belly with fresh meat and hot, dark blood. His mouth began to water with the thought. Whoa, John just slipped a little there into Ghost, eh? Yeah. That's a fast slip. If you don't, like... If you blink, you might miss it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really fun to re- see how to reread. I'm just like imagining John's because it's so weird, right? Like you're like, wow, this uh went from zero to a hundred real quick, John. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, dears. But I don't know. It's just funny to imagine John just suddenly like close up on his face and him just like maybe his R's Maybe his eyes starting like mm-hmm. left and right, being like, "This is a weird feeling. Why am I feeling like this?" And if you take the whole context of the best part of this that we're about to talk about, which is ghost, uh, if you take the ghost context out, this is almost straight up like some kill the boy crazy language, right? Like this is like the onset of kill the boy and let the man be born. Like he feels a hunger inside him, a dragon glass blade, uh, which also I love that it was dragon glass. Like that, that yeah. was interesting, but it isn't. Uh, the hunger is, as you and I know, our best boy. Ghost? Yes. Ghost? Ghost. Hey, come here, boy. Come here. This is a good boy. <laughs> it's Ghost. Uh, and Ghost comes running to John. They meet. They hug. Everything is great. The story ends. This is our happy ending. Oh. John not making a decision. John tells him, I thought that you died on him like everyone else. Ouch, Okay. God. Um, you literally told him to go. Like, fuck off, John. Red eyes, John realized, but not like Melisandre's. He had a weirwood's eyes. Red eyes, red mouth, white fur, blood and bone, like a heart tree. He belongs to the old gods, this one, and he alone, of all the direwolves, were white. Six pups they'd found in the late summer snows, him and Rob, Five that were gray and black and brown for the five Starks, and one white, as white as snow. He had his answer then. Uh, two things I want to discuss here. One, I'm just realizing I'm probably reading too much into this, but in terms of the hunger that Ghost is feeling, we see a red deer, or a great elk, proud and defiant. Is that language a little bit Baratheon-esque? Yeah. I mean, he's a red deer now. I could see that. Fiery stag. I don't know. Reading too much into it. But also, I, I mean, coming back to astute like observations in the fandom about coincidences in terms of coloring of the weirwoods and ghosts, people talk about how it matches Melisandre's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, with all that red and white. But I think it overlooks this passage a little, because in this moment, John explicitly says they're red eyes, but they're not like Melisandre's red eyes. So there are different shades to all of those different colors. Again, not all that glitters. It's 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 a little like that all that glitters is not gold, but it's here. It's just like all things that are red aren't necessarily aligned. And 
yeah, there are those shades and subtle nuances. And I think it shows that they have different wants, Melisandre and John, and that the Red God might be pretending to be like on John's side or Melisandre is, but like if it means uprooting literally the family tree, is it worth it? He's thinking of this as a sign. This was a sign from the old gods, right? Ghost came back. Ghost was a gift from the old gods and ghost came back in this moment when John was most conflicted and like, I guess I got to burn down the family mm. tree. Uh, ghost comes back. It's a literal sign from God, from the old gods. Oh, you're right. It is a sign from God. Uh... That exact moment. This is what changes him. He's like, I can't do that. What the fuck was I thinking? I'm going to be grounded. Uh, <laughs> it's a sign. He's on a mission from the old gods. And instead of being the blues brothers, yeah. he's part of the black brothers. <laughs> there you go. As John reaches beneath the wall, the Queen's men have started their prayer at their night fires with the emerging Mel, and all the King's men in the yard stare at John and his dire wolf. They're not obviously used to seeing one. Uh, he sees Val up in her tower window, and he sadly thinks, I'm not the one to steal you from there, which I thought was interesting that, of course, you have your good imagery of she's the princess in the tower in this situation, and George always has all these different variations, right? Like Sansa... A prisoner of war in her tower trying to operate from the godswood, from the gods. Ariane, imprisoned for scheming to crown Bersella and taking vengeance for her family on her own terms. Alanis Harlaw, even, uh, in her tower after the rebellion and losing everything. Ashara choosing her quote-unquote destiny, not in the neck, but from her tower, haha. And Lyanna is probably the most classic one, right? The birthing of the savior story. And Helena Targaryen's suicide and Jahera's even. Uh, just so many different iterations of the princess in the tower scattered through the book, but all of them are changed a lot from what you'd usually see with the Arthurian kind of trope. Yeah, I think that's a really great observation about Val. I didn't even think about that. She would be like, I'm not a princess. You are in a way, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Uh, just like for John. As John enters the hall, it's kind of a circus in there. Janos is yelling about turncloaks. Emmett has a sword in his hand and he's standing on a table. Three finger death hob, I mean, death punch, I mean, three finger hob, is cursing a ranger from the Shadow Tower, and an East Watch man is demanding quiet. He's pounding on the table. Pip notices John first and he grins at Ghost's return. He whistles, and that quiets the room. John asks, okay, what's up? Alistair's like, the turncloak graces us with his presence at last, and Janos decides to go the extra mile and be ridiculous. <sighs> when is he not? When is he not? Lord Janos was red-faced and covering. The beast! He gasped. Look, the beast that tore the life from half-hand. A warg walks among us, brothers. A warg! This, this creature is not fit to lead us. This beastling is not fit to live. God, Ghost is like ready to fight. John is keeping it together. He's keeping him calm. He's like, pat, 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 floof, floof. What's happening? And Eamon's like, ah, your name was put forward for Lord Commander. And John's like, who would do this? Looking out at all of his friends. I love that he just smiles and he laughs. He's like, good prank, bruh. Put it on the vine. Oh you got God. me. You got my reaction. It's like the, uh, the why would so-and-so kill so-and-so meme. <laughs> But I just do like, he's like, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. That someone would do that. And Dolores Ed is like, because John's like, oh, seriously, who would do this to me? And Dolores Ed was like, oh, sorry, dick move, but better you than me, man. It was me. 
So Janos is super outraged. He's like, this is awful. I want to speak to your manager, which is like, it's John. Uh, but Janos, <laughs> Surprise. Janos says, I won't suffer it. And that John should be hanged a turncloak to die. And Cowderpike is like, uh, I don't know. And he tells it like it is. And Dennis Malister even joins in as well. Yeah, I like that Cotterpike and Dennis Malister are like, fuck that shit, Jano Slit. Everyone thinks he's super annoying. No one, literally no one likes him except for Alistair. And, of course, a bunch of them had originally kind of intended to align until they saw what was actually happening. Because Cotterpike is like, you won't suffer it. Might be you had those gold cloaks trained to lick your bloody arse, but you're wearing (laughs) a black cloak now. And Dennis Malister is like... Any brother may offer any name for our consideration, so long as the man has said his vows. Talette is well within his rights, my lord. And finally, Alistair Thorne is like, look, no matter what happens, the king has guards posted out there. We have to choose. I'm getting hungry. And Othel Yarwick even drops out. He's like, originally I was going to give my votes to Janos, but John's probably the better choice. And he says, he's been longer on the wall. He's been Stark's nephew. He's served the old bear as squire. And Janos is like changing colors. Like his skin is just like, it was red. It's purple. And Alistair is blank white because everyone shouts for the kettle where the votes were being put in. And more men are like banging on the table. Kettle, 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 kettle. <laughs> yeah, where's Matt? <laughs> We need back to that. Oh. Uh, oh man, yeah, and like it, it feels like some Willy Wonka shit. I don't know why. When like they talk about Janos turning from red to purple, I think of what's her fucking name? That girl, that girl, uh, you Violet Beauregard. Yeah, she turns into fucking blueberry. Violet. You're turning Violet. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it probably helps that Stannis gave his speech like ripping into Janos, like last chapter, and so now everyone's like, oh. Does sound like he sucks. With a raucous scream and a clap of wings, a huge raven burst out of the kettle. It flapped upwards, seeking the rafters, perhaps, or a window to make its escape. But there were no rafters in the vault, nor windows either. The raven was trapped, cawing loudly. It circled the hall once, twice, three times. And John heard Samuel Tarley shout, I know that bird! That's Lord Mormont's raven! The raven landed on the table, nearest John. Snow! Snow! It cawed. It was an old bird, dirty and bedraggled. Snow! It said again. Snow! 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 It walked to the end of the table, spread its wings again, and flew to John's shoulder. Thank you! That was great! You're welcome. That was good for me! Oh, Bach! Bach! I watched a video. Someone posted it in the History of Westeros podcast Facebook group recently. Apparently, some ravens really do. You can teach them, like, some human words, like parrots, but the they can imitate voices. It sounded so funny. And I thought about doing that for here, but no one was going to get it. Like when they were saying, making the raven say hello, it sounded like a, like a low-pitched <laughs> man's voice going, hello. <laughs> like, oh, no, I don't want that. And she kept trying to get later on the raven to say hello again. And it kept going, hi. It would say like, hi. And it's not like the way, it's not a calling sound. Yeah. It's just like a weird, hilarious voice. <sighs> Birds are weird, man. Birds are weird. They really... They really are, and this book, like, just highlights it, because now we've got, like, all these birds, like, bursting out of kitchen shit, like, like at Joffrey's wedding with the pie. Oh, look, the pie! Oh my god, interesting, because the next book is A Feast for Crows. Mmm. Mmm. This is why you don't feed the birds. Next thing you know, they're all, like, crowding around you, they're not gonna leave you alone. Seagulls are vicious. Yeah, they are. They are. Rats of the sky. You know, I've been thinking, speaking of birds, when John was a crow in the ice cells, do you think he was, like... 
I'm coming out of my cage, but I've been doing just fine. God, I gotta be down because I want it all. Uh, and it did start out with a kiss. It was only a kiss. And then sex. The best but... part is I did, like, as I thought that, I was singing it in my brain and I kept going, like, John, like open up my eager eyes because I'm Azora High. I don't know, something. But, oh, I like that. Yeah, right? Janos is like, nice job, you taught a pet a trick. This isn't real. It's just warg trickery. And the raven like looks around and is like, snow? And no one responds to it. So it's like, kettle, kettle, kettle again. <laughs> and then maybe everyone else is like, kettle, kettle, kettle! <laughs> the bird! <laughs> the rest was arrowheads. A torrent of arrowheads. A flood of arrowheads. Arrowheads enough to drown the last few stones and shells. And all the copper pennies, too. Everybody chose him! Yay. He's class president. Kind of reminds me of the Renly thing. Oh my god, class president. Oh god. (laughs) Everyone, everyone, you need to watch High School of Thrones. High School of Thrones is so good. Everyone congratulates John on his win. Iron Emmett is like, well, hope I'm still allowed to beat the shit out of you in the yard. And even Bowen Marsh is like, well, be true and I'll support you, I guess, Lord Commander. Cotter Pike is like, do a good job or I'm going to pull your entrails out of your body. But Dennis Malister wants to speak to John. Sir Dennis Malister was more courteous. It was a hard thing, young Samuel asked of me, the old knight confessed. When Lord Corgyle was chosen, I told myself, No matter. He has been longer on the wall than you have. Your time will come. When it was Lord Mormont, I thought, He is strong and fierce, but he is old. Your time may yet come. But you are half a boy, Lord Snow, and now I must return to the Shadow Tower, knowing that my time will never come. He smiled a tired smile. Do not make me die regretful. Your uncle was a great man, your lord father, and his father as well. I shall expect full as much of you. Aye, said Cotter Pike. And you could start by telling those king's men that it's done and we want our bloody supper. Supper! screamed the raven. Supper! Supper! Man, even in the lord commander choosing, Ned's memory is prominent. I thought that was great. And I love this speech. Um, I just, it's very sad. Yeah. That line just, you know, you're half a boy, Lord Snow, and now I must return. Knowing my time will never come. Honestly, it really could come. You know, like, now John's dead. Yeah, it's your time to shine. Uh, he It's probably going to make Dennis Malister regretful yeah. that all that happened. But he could be. He really honestly could be the 999th. Yeah, he could still. I know people are always putting forward different different options, but it could be him. Anyway. The heart co- I think. Like you said, it is kind of sad. It's an adorable moment, I think, a little bit yeah. between Cotter and Dennis, them being in agreement. I find those things cute. But, like, yeah, Dennis uh, makes you feel feelings because, like, he's sad that it doesn't pass him. He has actually really given a lot and devoted himself to the Night's Watch. He's a respected person and has done well, yeah. right? But at the same time, he's doing what is right for the Watch. He's doing his duty. And he's like, I guess it's Jon Snow, right? That's what it is. It's not my time. And so we end up seeing a little bit of that meritocratic aspect to the watch, like that it's supposed to embody, you know, if you ignore the part where Sam was conspiring and lying to people in the speech from Dennis, and it kind of becomes a fresh air, like in the midst of like the cynical portrayal that we've seen of the Night's Watch seeming very much not like a meritocracy in the past few chapters, or even at the beginning of the novels with with, um, Waymar Royce. Yeah. And, I don't know, random thought, Cotter Pike and these bloody suppers, another reminder, right, of, hey, the Red Wedding happened in this book, guys, thumbs up! 
context for all of this, but it also reminds me of Another Supper. This is definitely a stretch, reading too much into it, but it's not foreshadowing. It's interesting to think about then a Last Supper, a different, you know, Mm. thing in the context of like John's very monomyth-like story with the betrayal and the resurrection that he's going to undergo later on. That is pretty much what this is, right? Someone will betray him after this. A bunch of them. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So many. Well, before we get too depressed, so many, so many stabs. Before we get too sad, I think we should read the last passage. It's a really special passage. It's like the magic of friendship, and it's the end. Everything changes after this, right? For John, everything changes. So let's preserve the happiness we have before a dance with dragons. The king's men cleared the door for when they told them of the choosing, and Three-Finger Hob and half a dozen helpers went trotting off to the kitchen to fetch the food. John did not wait to eat. He walked across the castle, wondering if he were dreaming, with the raven on his shoulder and ghost at his heels. Pip, Gren, and Sam trailed after him, chattering, but he hardly heard a word until Gren whispered, Sam did it! And Pip said, Sam did it! Pip had brought a wineskin with him, and he took a long drink and chanted, Sam! Sam! Sam the wizard, Sam the wonder, Sam, Sam the marvel man, he did it. But when did you hide the raven in the kettle, Sam? And how in seven hells could you be certain it would fly to John? It would have mucked up everything if the bird had decided to perch on Janoslin's fat head. I had nothing to do with the bird, Sam insisted. When it flew out the kettle, I almost wet myself. John laughed, half amazed that he still remembered how. You're all a bunch of mad fools, do you know that? Us? said Pip. You call us fools? We're not the ones who got chosen as the 900th and 98th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch! You best have some wine, Lord John. I think you're going to need a lot of it! And a lot of wine! So Jon Snow took the wineskin from his hand and had a swallow, but only one. The wall was his, the night was dark, and he had a king to face. A terror? The night is dark? And full mm-hmm. of terrors? Is... Are you saying that Stannis is the He terror? was the terror in this situation. I guess. Also the hangover. The ending <laughs> hangover that it sounds like. I love this ending of the chapter. I think that was nice. I do. And before we go into like an actual discussion, I just, I like how we have that emphasis, right? The change in emphasis of how Gren says it, then Pip says it, of like that Sam did it. Gren's like, Sam did it. Like, holy shit, dude. Sam did it's it. like, Sam did it. Like, <laughs> Fuck, he really pulled it off. It's kind of funny. It's, it's. I don't know if you've ever played that game where you say like the se- same sentence over and over again, but change which word you emphasize. That's what he just did. Yeah, they did that. That's what George did. <laughs> I haven't played that since I was like in high yeah, school. I don't think but... I have since like uh, improv or something in high school. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. It is an, like improv an improv game thing. too. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I have played it more recently than hmm. than I thought, and I blocked it out. Probably it is know. improv. I liked, I liked improv. I thought it was fun. It can be fun. The yeah, for sure. I love Stressful. the silhouette John cuts. He's walking around mm. the wall, and he's got the crow on his shoulder and ghost at his side and long claw <laughs> in his belt, yes. and he's a lord commander. It's everything you could really want, yeah. you know, um, except for the part where, like, his first love's dead. But I guess you can't have that if you're a lord commander anyway, so. And then you're gonna die, so it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Everyone dies. Except for Ghost. <laughs> so he's gonna live forever. A storm of Swords was wild for John. Oh, it was. I feel like it feels like it's been a really long time since we started this book with John just because so many things happen. 
for him in this story. He really grows. Like, I mean, you, you start off, you start this book and he's turning cloak to Mance. Like, that's the beginning. True. We went through so much. He turns cloak. He returns as an oathbreaker. He fights the wildlings and he ends this story as Lord Commander of the Wall, avoiding temptation very narrowly. Yes, and I think what's interesting is, as you said, that he starts the story as a turn cloak, and the reason he tells Mance that he's turning cloak is, did you see where they put the bastard? And in his last chapter of A Storm of Swords, he's like, shit, I could be head of the table now, dude. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's quite the trajectory. Especially when you consider that Mance is transitioning from being a king to being a capture. Oh, true. He's transitioning from being a king to being a shitbag, because <laughs> he has to pretend to be fucking Rattleshirt. Yeah. Man, ugh. That's a role-playing exercise I never want to do. Talk about method acting. Um, I know, right? Oh, rattle shirts. Oh, what a weirdo. Yeah. There's a point in the middle of this chapter also in regards to, like, starting off as a turncloak. Especially how it ends. That line, what is it? Turncloak, Oathbreaker, damned. <laughs> Motherless, damned. <laughs> it all ends with damned, alright? That, that's all you need to know. And Dolores Ed basically is like, yeah... I'm voting for you, John. I'm not doing you any favors. And it's really not. Like, as we've repeated in... As it's been repeated in Arianne's chapters regarding Marcella, like, to crown him is to kill him, which ends up being the case for John here. It's not a kingship, right? But it is the culmination of John's big adventure ending with him, like, with basically being CEO of the company and then, um, yeah... It really goes to show, and especially because this is a more democratic decision, right? Even though Sam obviously conspired to make it happen, um, everyone chose John in the end. Like Even the people that aren't involved, there are some men this watch that voted that are just random Night's Watch character number four. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And that's a big reflection of his character. And yeah, they all voted with their arrowheads over the Copper Penny, which again reminiscent of Renly, mm -hmm. and also of all the bribes, I guess, that Janos Lynn took. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they were all super jazzed about it. They were like, floods of arrowheads! Everyone! Arrowheads everywhere! Now, if only we had a bunch of dragonglass arrowheads <laughs> for later on. Yeah, there you go. That's the next shadowing of what they need. And speaking of Stannis, Sam Tarly really fucked Stannis' shit up here, didn't he? <laughs> I know! It's great! I love it! Holy shit, it's so good! Stannis is just, like, staring out of a window right now, going, fuck. <laughs> It's so great because, like, Sam also, I don't think, knows that Stannis offered this to John, yeah. so it's just hilarious. Well, and that that's the me. best part of all of this. While Sam is having his own problem and trying to get all these people to vote for John, John is over here brooding over, should I be Lord of Winterfell or should I just, like, leave forever and die because they're going to kill me because I'm a turncloak? Yeah, I mean, John is a great example of, like, you don't always have to take the very first job offer on the table. Yeah, you should always Sometimes weigh your options. Sometimes there are other ones. Give yourself a little yeah. bit to say yes or no. Uh, and Leverage, leverage oh them against God. each other. <gasps> Even had John said yes, would Stannis have had the North? John's a bastard, and yeah, he's the son of Eddard Stark, but if the bastard son of Eddard Stark shows up at Winterfell, beats the Boltons somehow... And burns the godswood to accept Stannis as his, like, god, they probably would still lose. Like, I don't foresee, I, I wouldn't foresee the Northmen accepting John then because of the burning. However, as we know, something's gotta happen for them to accept John because, I mean, 
I think it's pretty obvious King in the North is apparent that it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen for at least a bit. And I agree. Like, I don't think burning the weirwood, like, that's a bad PR move. Yeah, not good. <laughs> for, like, trying to win the North. And I understand why Stannis thinks it's necessary, but it's really not. And this is why it's just, like, Stannis, this is why no one likes you. But, like, in-world, in-world. I agree. Like, in-world. I mean, and that's what Aegon Targaryen right. did, right? He converted to the religion of the majority instead of being like everyone here's my here's my random gods from my empire that died <laughs> i'll convert he he was like he was faith of the seven in in name only as opposed to like balor right, right? but it would have been as you were saying regarding the king in the north stuff you know we have one king trying to do it here but Stannis being like I'm a king I can do whatever the fuck I want in terms to in terms of what you're mm-hmm. doing at the wall but there is one that I think the north would honor mm-hmm. and that is Rob's yes. will of course absolutely Rob's will is going to definitely uh definitely be the end all say all for sure yeah I appreciate I appreciate all this like scheming on Sam's part which obviously we can talk about more in Sam's storyline and what it means for him later on um but, you know, him undermining Stannis mm-hmm. in the context of Stannis, like, straight up telling him, because I, like, quickly bre- went through that chapter again, being like, you would have been a great hostage, Samuel Tarly, in terms of trying <laughs> to get Randall to to follow me. And Mace Raymond's like, he took the black, Stannis. <laughs> Can't yeah. do that. Well, we have a lot to look forward to in A Dance with Dragons. Uh, I think Adobada. There's a lot of parallels for John and Danny, even in the end here, mm-hmm. um, of avoiding temptation and you know being elected as the ruler, taking the rulership in Danny's case. And a Dance with Dragons is very much so going to be us talking about how these characters are learning to navigate and rule or fail in their own ways as they embrace their animal mm-hmm. self, like the dragon versus the wolf in this example. Hmm. That's true, and it is interesting though that. As John, in this chapter, decides to accept the wolf, right? After having spent a lot of the book being like, no, I'm going to move the wolf away as he wrestles with being a free folk or not. Mm -hmm. And he picks the wolf, but that doesn't mean picking Winterfell here. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, embracing his animal side, embracing ghost, embracing the wolf. and Literally embracing ghost. Oh, literally. But that, you know, embracing him, literally and figuratively, uh, doesn't, like you said, mean embracing Winterfell. And it also means embracing the best parts of Winterfell at that very same time, right? He's embracing the old gods. He's embracing his family through that. He's finding a way to kind of honor them without burning their gods. And we see through the speeches, right, that the other Night's Watchmen give him that this is absolutely a way to honor his family because everyone else is like, well, we voted for you because we loved your father. We loved Ned Stark and his legacy. And then also because he's Benjen's legacy, too. This this all goes off that basic, like, I don't know, like with the idea of TM Scanlan's what do we owe to each other? What's the most basic form of interaction as humans we owe to each other, you know? And like, they're like, well, you took a vow. That's what this is all based on. They're basing their views of him on those things, but also, like, you took a vow, you're committed to the watch, Jon Snow. Yeah, even if these fuckers don't think you are, we all know you are. Yeah. We saw it. Which is <laughs> why what happens in A Dance with Dragons comes, and yeah, we'll get to all that. Next week, in fact, we will be getting to that with Maester Mary, like we said earlier, so stay tuned for that. 
I'm really excited for that episode with her on. Yeah, I've been looking forward to having Mary on for a while. She's been doing a lot of great thinking on John. Yes, and really do check out her essay. It's like required reading before next week's episode. It's The Last Temptation of Lord Commander Snow, Part 1, Killing the Boy. Uh, We will try not to bug her too much next week about her next essay, so everyone be nice to Mary. It'll come out when it comes out, okay? Mary's not your bitch. Eliana. Oh my god. Eliana. No, I'm not. (laughs) So I will. So I will. But we get get Mary instead. Just probably better. Probably. My opinion. (laughs) Friendship. Friendship is the real essays we made a lot. Why? So anyways, everyone, stay tuned for updates from us. As you all know, we are doing another reread series for His Dark Materials alongside this Aswaf reread. So see which one's coming up next by subscribing to us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter. Or, hey, maybe you have some reactions to us. We got a couple of really great emails this week, and they were sent to girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. As always, make sure you're subscribed to us on your podcast provider, whether it's Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Overcast, as reminded to us by Pat Spinagle in email. We are on Overcast, that is the new one, uh, and Stitcher and Acast as well. Yep, and of course, we have a Patreon. If you are a subscriber $5 and up, you get a Patreon-only episode, and this month we are doing those forgotten characters who might might have an impact in the winds of winter but not howland reed yes not howland reed i know i'm not allowed to talk about howland reed thank you guys he's just too well remembered <sighs> we'll have some good characters health we'll, we'll talk about the royces even some uh, some people mm-hmm. in maybe rickon's arc a bunch of different stuff so stay tuned for that as always i have been one of your hosts chloe and i have been another one of your hosts eliana thanks guys <laughs>